Yeah, it's on. Yep. Is it good? Up. Good morning, everybody. I'm ready to get started if you are. That was a risky statement, wasn't it? <laughs> so imagine, imagine a world without self-control. A world where mom and moms and dads said, ah, fooey with this self-control thing. I'm not going to go to work. I'm not going to wash clothes anymore. I'm not going to cook. I'm not going to take care of family needs. I'm just going to enjoy myself and do whatever impulsively comes to me. Can you imagine the cry from around the world of children who would be screaming, help, help, we need parents who have self-control. Please, someone train our parents. And many of you parents are also praying for your children to learn about self-control. And so that's what we're talking about today is we're talking about the topic of self-control and actually experiencing it, that it becomes something that is a vital part of your life because Christ is doing a work within you and giving you power to actually have this self-control experience. Now imagine again with me a world where you're pulled over by a police officer and you pull out your wallet or your purse and you open the window and you lean out and you take your, uh, I was told to do this, the way to do it, uh, to take your driver's license out so that the officer sees your hands sort of thing. And the officer comes up to you and says, a little bit in a hurry today, huh? And, and you sheepishly say, well, yeah, you're right. I, I kind of blew it. I just wasn't paying attention. I'm sorry, officer. And he, he takes he takes and goes and checks out and comes back to you and he says, uh, would you please get out of the car? And you get out of the car and he cuffs you. And a couple hours later, you're standing before the judge and your, uh, your lawyer comes up to you and says, we don't have time to talk, just plead guilty. And you're, you're going, what? Yeah, this is nuts. Just plead guilty. And, and so the, the judge says, uh, what do you plead? And you plead, okay, I'm guilty. And the judge looks at uh, the paperwork in front of him and he says, well, there's two counts of respect and one count of kindness toward this officer. I'm throwing this case out. Can you imagine a world where you were actually punished for self-control and kindness and good things? And so we read this scripture about the fruit of the Spirit. The, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And there it is, today's topic, self-control. There is no law against these things. There's no law against these things because these things are good. These are the fundamental building blocks of healthy relationships, healthy society, and justice. And so these are things that are, are the foundation. They're the things we want our children to have. There's, they're the things that we need in society so that we treat each other respectfully and so that good things happen in our culture. And so we are talking about this whole issue of self-control. The Bible indicates that in the last days, men will be without self-control. 
That means that two extremes will probably occur. One extreme is going to be that people are going to be controllers of others. And number two, it probably means that they'll be out of control in terms of their emotions, their reactions. They'll be reactionary. And so you will stand out as a very bright light, folks, if you demonstrate self-control. In fact, I, I think a lot of hiring departments would be looking for people like you because they need people who are dependable, people who can hold back, people who can focus, people who can do what they need to do to make that business successful. When you're driving down the road, aren't you glad that people have self-control and decide to drive on the right side of the road? When I first started driving, I thought, this is nuts. There's no divider. All you have to do is go over about 10 feet and you've got a head on. This is crazy. Aren't you glad that self-control exists in the universe? But where's the source of it? Where do you get your self-control from? Oh, I, I've experienced it with people. A lot of people have self-control when it comes to their own benefit. Yeah. Yeah. When it works for them, when they get the contract, when they make a buck, when, when it blesses them, when it, it works for their convenience, oh, yeah, self-control. I've got self-control. But when it costs you something, when you actually lose by having self-control, remember what Jesus did? He had a lot of self-control. He was in the garden. They were coming to arrest him. And he was praying. And he prayed, Father, but not my will, but yours be done. Now, there is self-control, a sacrificial self-control that says, I'm going to act in the best interest of hundreds of millions of people that I want a personal relationship with. Jesus is investing in them by sacrificing his life. He went to that cross, he died, he rose again, and today he offers you that strength and that power, which includes self-control. It's a beautiful thing. You can actually experience it. And so our theme for today is get your self-control in Christ. I know that you've probably, like me, tried to find it in your own willpower, your self-determination, your strength, your conviction, your courage, and you said, I'm going to do this. But I submit to you that that kind of self-control is flawed. It's flawed because it's weak. Uh, it's inconsistent, it's based on selfishness rather than a pure motive, and it's not consistent because the standard oftentimes shifts, because you move to your advantage rather than holding to a standard. In fact, the implication about self-control is that there's a line in the sand, and you have a conviction about that line, that over here is the good and over here is the bad, and, and I'm committed to the good. Or over here is the light, and over here is the dark, and I don't want to go with the dark stuff. I, want, I don't want the dark side. I want to be on the light side. And so when you choose self-control for your life, you are choosing something very significant because everyone who experience, experiences you, when you have your self-control on, they're going, I like that. But when you don't have the self-control going, they're going, 
this relationship doesn't work very well without that self-control and self-discipline thing going on. Self-control says, I can hold back. Self-control says, that's okay, I don't need that. Self-control says, no, I'm going to look out for the other person rather than pushing my agenda. You see, self-control has a lot to do with how you relate to people and the kind of healthy relationships you build. A few messages ago, Pastor Bob said, self-control is a disciplined life of sound decision-making. I like it. So let's use it for today. A disciplined life of sound decision-making. And there's four things that you can plug into, four keys that will help you to experience this kind of platform for real, honest self-control. Number one is you have to be trained by grace. And we talk about grace because it's one of the key terms in the Bible. It means, well, one person has said, is God riches at Christ's expense. It means God has all these resources that he wants to invest in you. Now, if you're interested in that resource, those resources, you will experience the power of God in a way that you will never experience it if you try to do it by sheer willpower. Try it. Try God. Try Jesus Christ and experience the difference. Here's what it says about this grace thing. The Apostle Paul was speaking about faith in Christ Jesus, and he, as he discoursed to this uh, leader uh, over there in Rome in the Middle East, he discoursed on three things, on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. There's our theme for today. And how do they all relate? Well, it's pretty significant because Felix was afraid and said to him, that's enough for now, you may leave. Uh, Get out of here. I don't want to hear any more of this. He didn't want self-control. Why? Because Paul was pointing out to him that without self-control, you're impulsive. You do your own thing. You, You do whatever you want. And he's talking to a politician, folks. You understand? It's offensive. Because here's a guy with power, control, uh, what he says, everybody just jumps through hoops. And so here's this kind of guy, and Paul's challenging him, saying, in your own life, do you have self-control? Because if you don't, you're going to be doing things that God's going to judge you for someday, and it's going to keep you out of heaven. But you see, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you get righteousness from Jesus. It's a gift that you receive, forgiveness of sins, righteousness. And then out of that comes the power for self-control, the motive for self-control, a God who actually loves you and forgives you, that gives you a motivation to be different, to make the right choices, to have self-control. But Felix here, he didn't want anything of it. Get out of here. Where are you at on the self-control question? Are you willing to invite God into your life and let him show you and give you the kind of self-control that will actually make a difference in your life, in your family, in your work, in everything you do? It will bless you, it will bless your relatives, it will bless your coworkers and, and your employees because it will make you a different kind of man, woman, and young person. That's right. It's a training process, this self-control. When you go to the epistles in the New Testament, it's interesting to see how this grace pans out in the life of the church. 
because you see the church is like a, a nice campfire, a bunch of people who all share the same passion for Jesus, and it's like all those coals being together glowing red. But you take the tongs and you remove one of those coals outside from the rest of those, and all just after a few seconds, it goes from bright red to dark. You lose your intensity. And you see, God created the church to be a community of people that connect with each other, encourage each other, and inspire each other to be Christ-like kind of people. And among those Christ-like qualities is our topic today, self-control. And so an elder must be self-controlled. All of you know that you don't respect a leader that doesn't have self-control. You know? (laughs) We just, you hear conversations all the time about that. A leader has to have self-control for you to respect them because a lot of important things hinge on self-control. But you see, in the church, it's not just the elders, the leadership of the church that need to have self-control. A few verses later, it even talks about the older men and the older women having self-control. Boy, now we're getting real personal here, aren't we? Teach the older men to be self-controlled. Well, here, here is the learning curve. No matter what age you are, you never cease to pay attention to the importance of self-control. And here's the training process, is that it trickles down through the generations through a lifestyle of modeling. How many of you who are older are mentoring a younger adult or youth in the church? And this is part of what you're training them by word and example and input into their life, they're looking at your life and you're saying, come on, let's go there. Let's pursue these qualities. Let's pursue self-control. How many of you are doing, how many of you younger people are looking for someone a step or two ahead of you to say, could, could I hang out with you every once in a while and just talk about issues in my life and how I could grow and develop some more self-control? You see, this is my great concern for, for our society and for our church is that we need to be practicing the training process of sharing character that's trickling down to the generations so that they both see it and they hear it and they get it. It's important because these young people are going to be our future leaders, our future teachers, yeah, our future parents. They need this. This isn't little stuff. This is big. Likewise, teach the older women to train the younger women to be self-controlled. Similarly, encourage. You see, literally that means to put courage into somebody, the spirit of courage. Similar, put the spirit of courage into the young men to be self-controlled. Young men need that encouragement. In everything, set them, and here is the training process, the example. It starts with the example And it proceeds with the training and the verbalizing and the illustrating of how do you live this out in the Christian life. And it never stops, even for our seniors. I just want to encourage you to pursue it. Because it comes out of the grace of God. This all comes out of what God has done for us, not what we self-determine, what we are 
what we feel the power to achieve. This is what God gives us as a gift. That's why it's grace. And the Bible says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us some things. It teaches us, for one, to say, what's the word? No. No is a good word. No to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That's important for all of us to learn to say the no word. A second way that we key in to this power for self-control that God gives is to be spirit-led. The opposite of being spirit-led is to uh, just basically think that your ideas are the best, better than God's, and you're just going to do your life your way. But to be spirit-led looks more like this. Paul says, so I say, live by the Spirit. In other words, find life. Find the real good life. Find the life God intended by the Spirit. And you'll not gratify, that is, fulfill the desires of the sinful nature. You see, it's easy to just act on our impulses, to do what feels good. We, we feel a little bit lonely, and so we go to the Internet looking for love, and we look for it in photos that afterwards make us feel cheap and raunchy. Why do we do that? Yeah. Why is it do we chase relationships and we compromise our values just because we're looking for a good feeling? Why do we do that? Because this sinful nature draws us away from the goodness that God has for us. Those belong to Jesus Christ have crucified. Notice, notice that it's a done deal. They have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. This is the Spirit-led life. It's about you. You still have intelligence. You still make decisions. But you are plugged in and tuned in on your radar to the Spirit of God who takes the Bible and makes it real to you. And then he wraps up this section of Scripture by saying how we treat each other. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Because you see, you can get this kind of hyper-spirituality. And if you've been uh, hurt or abused by someone who's been hyper-spiritual, I ask your forgiveness. It's wrong. It's just frankly wrong. There's to be no pride in this thing. This is about God helping us become the kind of people he designed us to be. And that's not about competition. That's not about pushing people around. That's not about I'm one up on you. This is about we're in this together. And God's spirit is freely shared among us. And it's a great thing. It's an exciting thing to experience. And so here's the three concepts that will help you to be led by the Holy Spirit in your personal life. Number one, you have to have a new understanding of freedom in Christ. You're not free because you're a self-determining human being. You're free because Jesus Christ died for your sins on the cross. He paid for every one of them. And he died not only that you could be forgiven of your sins, but that the power that keeps you from loving and obeying God would be broken, removed. You no longer have this sinful nature. You're not a sinner. You're someone who happens to be a believer who occasionally makes a bad decision that looks like something you used to be. 
This is crucial. If you don't believe this, you will be stuck. If you believe that Jesus Christ died and freed you from the power of sin, then you have no excuses any longer. You can say, I am free, truly free, to love God with all my heart and to make decisions that reflect the strength he gives me by his spirit. Once you understand that, that creates momentum. Momentum. Now you start pursuing his guidance. You just simply say, God, uh, what do you have for me today? At least that's what I do. I I just say, God, what do you have for me today? Because when I started writing up my daily planner, it didn't work. It had always got changed. It always got interrupted. I always found that it seemed like the cutting edge of what God wanted to have for me today wasn't on my agenda. He wanted to insert it. And I just realized I had to just back away and say, God, uh, here's my tentative agenda. What do you have for me today? Yeah. Lately, it's been really different. uh, Because, you see, I grew up uh, trained. I was trained in the uh, (laughs) positive mental attitude school. And uh, uh, my dad taught me hard work and discipline at an early age. And so, you see, I, I worked hard. And I I worked my way through school. And it's only been more recently, actually, it's only been the last four weeks that I've been experiencing something with the Holy Spirit I've never experienced in my whole life. When I went through school, graduate school, I worked hard in the summer and I paid it off. I didn't have the experience like some of my friends did where they went to the school mailbox, opened it up, and there was a check that paid for their semester. I never had that. I never had that kick in the seat. They did. But I just worked hard. And so I come from that background, okay? But just in the last four weeks, the Holy Spirit has been doing something for me, teaching me something I've never learned before. And that is, he's been giving me little things, things, tangible things. I'm not used to that. One of the things he gave me was a cribbage board. A cribbage board. And I just, someone here in the church took me out for lunch, and he, this person took a cribbage board. We played cribbage. And someone there at that restaurant came over to us and observed what we were doing, and I entered into a conversation with the person, asked them if they'd like to play sometime, and they said, sure. So I gave the guy my phone number. But I don't have a cribbage board. So how am I going to do this? And so a couple Saturdays ago, we're, we're putting some flyers on doorknobs, you know, so people can know that Gateway's out here. And, and the last house I put the thing on, the garage door's open, and the, the lady of the house is sitting in there, and I, I say hi to her, and, and she invites me in. I realize, oh, she's got a little garage sale going here. And there. <laughs> yeah. There it was. There it was. It just blows me away. And so now I know. Now my, you know what I'm waiting for next, don't you? Now, because what God supplies, he creates. He's, he's making movement here. He's creating something. He's, I don't know. Maybe I'm supposed to be the uh, cribbage, uh, the staff cribbage player. I don't know. But if I can do that for Jesus, I'll play cribbage with you. Okay? Who plays cribbage? 
Oh my goodness, that's a lot of cribbage. <laughs> I'll look forward to it. Okay, a challenge. But you see, I'm just, I'm just trying to be in tune here with pursuing God's guidance. Holy Spirit, what are you doing? How do I respond? What's next? What's next for you? What's the Holy Spirit just putting thoughts in your mind? Going, and you're going, I don't, where'd that come from? Why? And maybe that's the Holy Spirit telling you to do something. And to simply respond humbly. And here's, here's how this looks in terms of just uh, in your notes. If you are not being led by the Holy Spirit, you're doing one of two things. You're either trying to control other people or you're, tr- you're a little bit out of control. Not all the time, but it shows up in one way or the other. And different people could probably tell you which one you do. But if you're under the control of the Holy Spirit, then you're being guided, and God's taking you places that you normally wouldn't go. And that's what I heard from someone two days ago. They said, since I started reading my Bible and praying on a daily basis, I found it so much easier to love people, to be at peace. But when I don't do that, it's hard to do that, they say. But lately, they're seeing this start to happen in their life because the Holy Spirit is guiding them. If you're controlling others, it comes, the Bible says, from desires within you that are inappropriate, ungodly desires. And the way it shows up is usually manipulation. There's a few other things, but primarily manipulation. If you're an out-of-control person, it has to do a lot with emotion, and you're going to sense this coming from the person that's in your life. If they're out of control, they will react, and you'll, you'll feel a lot of emotion coming from this person. This is the person who talks out what they're feeling. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they say things that they regret later because they're just kind of talking it out as they go along, and then they realize maybe they shouldn't have said it later. But you see, if you're under the control of the Holy Spirit, then faith is guiding you. And you're being obedient because you want to, because you're in love with the God who loves you back. He died on the cross for you, rose from the dead, and he has the power to help you live the Christian life. And that's the whole point of this message, folks. If you try to do the Christian life on your own power, you will fail. You'll flop. Folks, the power of the Christian life comes with obeying the Holy Spirit because God loves you and gives you His Spirit freely to help you. Isn't that cool? I think that's so cool. So the third thing, the third key that will help you plug in to this power from God to be able to live self-controlled life is to think clearly, to be clear-minded. When you're caught off guard, you're probably just like me. Your heart revs up a little bit. If you're really maybe ticked off a little bit, your hands might sweat a little bit, you know, and your heart races, and you start to feel it, feel that emotion coming on. The Bible calls us to be clear-minded when that happens. Here's what it says about these things. For this reason, make every effort. Okay, here's a little bit of effort on your part. Remember, the Christian life isn't passive. You're engaged. He gives you his power, but you're still making decisions and choices based on the Bible and the wisdom of God, praying about it, and letting God guide you through the path of that day. And so you add to your faith goodness. And you want to add to goodness knowledge. And... With the knowledge, you add self-control. Because you see, knowledge that's not practiced with discipline is just a bunch of head knowledge. Won't change your life. Might make you sound smart, 
But you see, God's interested in taking it from here to here. He wants you to experience the Christian life. And so you read your Bible, that's where you get your knowledge, and then the self-control comes whenever you decide you're going to start putting into practice, and sometimes you say no to things that aren't good, and the things that are great and wholesome you move forward with and say yes. And then after that you go, wait, I want want consistency here. And that's where the next quality you add to self-control, perseverance, because you want consistency in this thing. Once you get the momentum going, you want to experience this Christian life more and more. You don't want to slide back. You want to move forward and upward and onward because it's actually kind of fun. It is fun. I enjoy it a lot. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. When your head starts to spin a little bit, when you get flustered, when things start to grind for you, prepare your mind for action. Be self-controlled. And then it says the end of all things is near. And that's not chronological. What, What that's saying is summation. He's summing up. What's the point here? What do you want to achieve? Well, therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled. The two go together. You have to be thinking clearly, otherwise you're going to end up messing up. And so we combine those two together. Let us be alert and self-controlled for those who sleep, sleep in the night. And those who get drunk, get drunk in the night. So it's talking about nighttime being a time when people tend to sleep. Most people do. And... uh, From what I hear, a lot of people like to start drinking in the evening, and so they get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled. You see, there's something in common between getting drunk and sleep. You're out of it. You're not alert. You're not on your game. But when you get up in the morning and you take that shower and you stretch out and you slap your face or whatever you do to wake up and to get alert and to get on your day, that's what he's saying here. We belong to the day. We're the people who are alert. We're thinking clearly. We're on top of our game or on top of the game he has for us for that day. And we put on faith and love and we live it and it makes a difference. But you see, if we are not thinking clearly, folks, uh, we're going to have diminishing returns. That's what the book of Proverbs says. He who loves pleasure, uh, meaning hedonism, will become poor. And so here's the person who's worked hard, they've made their nest egg, they've been successful, but you see, they start to get into pleasure and so they're wasting all of it. They're just starting to throw it all away. Because once you prioritize hedonism in your life, you will start to lose control and not have self-control. But maybe you're at the other end. Maybe you're just starting out. You're, you're just starting that business. You're a young person. You're just finishing up school. You want to succeed in life in terms of your finances and, and getting that house and that nice car. And God's not against houses and nice cars. But look at this. This is the emphasis. Whoever loves wine and oil will never be rich. So this is the person that goes to the luxuries right away and they just start putting it on their card and they're spending beyond their means and they're getting all these fun things, these nice things, the things that make them feel good, the things that are enjoyable. 
but it'll keep them from becoming rich because they're squandering it before they've even made it. Think clearly is what the Scripture says to us. The fourth key that will unlock this self-control that you really need is to keep your emotions under control. And probably everybody here at one time or another has uh, got worked up a little bit. Some people can even start talking and they work themselves up into an emotional froth. Other people, it takes someone pressing the button. So would you write next to number four, what is your button that ticks you off, that miffs you, that gets you upset? What, what would someone do to cause that? Because you need to be aware of this. You may already be. Everybody else probably is. But you need to, right? You need to know what this thing is because if you're going to ask God for the self-control to overcome, you need to know what the primary target is today. Okay? So keep your emotions under control. Here, once again, it goes to the older men. See, a lot of times church sounds like we're picking on the young people. But you see, a lot of these scriptures are talking about the older people. Teach the older men to be temperate. And this is all about an older man's demeanor. Has he learned to poise his spirit? Is he calm under pressure? When the heat's on, does he start boiling over? Or does he have poise? And so we combine temperate with self-controlled, and here you have someone who is truly poised and calm, even in the midst of the unexpected, the pressure, and the heat. So what is it that ticks you off, that causes you to start losing it emotion, emotionally? The Bible says a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. And so even for you married couples, sex is an emotional thing. It's biological, it's psychological, it is very emotional. We know that because a lot of people deny sex because they're punishing their spouse. Sex is very emotional. And the Bible says, do not deprive each other of sex in your marriage except by two things, two qualifiers. It's got to be by mutual consent that you are together on this, that you're going to fast from sex. Our culture would hear that and go, what? But the Bible actually teaches that when a couple mutually agrees and sets a limited time, that's the implication, that it's a set time frame. Why? So that you may devote yourselves to prayer. I would venture to say very few Christian couples in this audience have done this. That they've actually said, there's something more important in our marriage than sex, and we need to pray about it. Let's take a couple days or 24 hours, whatever, and let's just both go off and let's pray hard about this thing. I don't know, some of you might even be daring and say, a week. Let's go and pray separately for a week. And we'll fast from sex. And we'll really seek God with our heart. 
And we'll see what God says to us in our prayers. And then you come back together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. You see, God understands that everybody's at a different place with their sexual self-control. And in your marriage, you need to talk to each other about this. And you probably understand after you've been married long enough how your spouse ticks and what, what sets them off, what makes them hungry for sex and all these things. But what's the important thing here is that you are meeting your spouse's needs and that you together are seeking God. A theology of sex. Yes. God has a lot to say about it. And it has a lot to do with self-control because you see, some of you are being tempted. Some of you are being tempted right now to get in a wrong relationship. To bail out on your marriage. I'm so thankful for the man a number of years ago who stood in front of thousands of men in this massive auditorium in another part of the country. And as an 80-some-year-old man, he said to all these thousands of younger men, he said, gentlemen, I am so glad that in my 40s, I did not cheat on my wife. When I got bored, and he went on to describe what he was going through, he was admitting that he was tempted. And he said, I'm so glad I didn't go there. Your marriage is worth protecting. Invest in it. Pray together. Take God up on this challenge and find out what it does for your love life. Here's another challenge for those who are really serious about being self-controlled. Do everything without complaining or arguing. This week I even experimented and tried that and I caught myself so many times failing. It's so easy to become critical, judgmental, start complaining about stuff. And God challenges this. Do everything without that stuff. Just start experiencing. Ask his help in your life to overcome those things. The Bible says like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. I was so impressed with an 18 to 20 year old man that I met a while back. He was in love with a beautiful lady. But you see, he was a believer and she wasn't. And he had read that verse in the Bible that says, don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. And he started thinking about that. He started thinking about his relationship with God. And, and he said, you know, I, I've come to the conclusion that I'm, I'm in a relationship that it's wrong. This young man had the courage to overcome his emotions and say to himself, I'm going to obey God. It was hard. I said, you have to let that gal go with respect and honor. Don't, you know, don't just, you know. And he did. That took courage. That took conviction. Wow, that, that took God. Because that meant he was going to trust God to bring someone else into his life that was better suited 
for who he was and what he was about. Whatever it is for you, are you willing to trust God? Are you willing to ask him for self-control? Are you willing to take these four keys and put it into the lock of your mind and your heart and your family and your relationship and actually turn the key and start the process? Let's pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, self-control is probably not one of the uh, most popular topics spoken of from pulpits in America, but we're not afraid of it. In fact, we embrace it. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that if anyone here wants the power of the Holy Spirit to come into their life, that they will invite Jesus to forgive them and to empower them so that they can experience this self-control. And for those of us who have been walking this path with you, Jesus, for uh, some decades, we pray as well that we would take the command, whether we're older, a little older men, a little older women, that we would take up the challenge and that we would pursue self-control and that we would begin mentoring the younger generations and that we would begin encouraging each other. And so, Father, we thank you that the Word of God is straight up and true. And we thank you, Father, that we get to invest in the kingdom of God and see more people come to know you. So as we take the offering now and sing this song, we pray that, uh, Lord, that you would use these resources to build the kingdom of God and bless thousands of people's lives. Amen. Amen.